0: 44. untenable the doctrines of Werner on the formation of these rocks. The scientific results of his investigations he embodied in his Geognostische Begöttung in Aufreisen durch Deutschland in Italian Berlin, 1802-1809. From the south of Europe von Buch repaired to the north, and spent two years among the Scandinavian islands, making many important observations on the geography of plants, on climate logic and on geology. He showed that many of the erratic blocks on the north German plains must have come from Scandinavia. He also established the fact that the whole of Sweden is slowly but continuously rising above the level of the sea from Frederiksheld to Abbo. The details of these discoveries are given in his rise to Norwegen Norwegian in Lapland Berlin, 1810. In 1815 he visited the Canary Islands in company with Christian Smith, the Norwegian botanist. His observations here convinced him that these and other islands of the Atlantic owed their existence to volcanic action of the most intense kind, and that the groups of islands in the South Sea are the remains of a pre-existing continent. The physical description of the Canary Islands was published at Berlin in 1825, and this work alone is regarded as an enduring monument of his labours. After leaving the Canaries Bondu proceeded to the Hebrides and the coasts of Scotland and Ireland. Paleontology also claimed his attention and he described in 1831 and later years a number of cephalopods, brachiopods and cystidea, and plant out their stratigraphical importance. In addition to the works already mentioned von Duke published in 1832 the magnificent geological map of Germany 42 sheets, Berlin. His geological excursions were continued without interruption till his 78th year. Eight months before his death he visited V.04p.0659 the mountains of Auvergne and on returning home he read a paper on the Jurassic Formation before the Academy of Berlin. He died at Berlin on the 4th of March 1853. Von Duc had inherited from his father a fortune more than sufficient for his wants. He was never married, and was an embarrassed by family ties. His excursions were always taken on foot, with a staff in his hand, and the large pockets of his overcoat filled with papers and geological instruments, under the skies the Passerby would not easily have recognized the man whom Humboldt pronounced the greatest geologist of his time. A complete edition of his works was published at Berlin 1867-1885. B.U.C.H.A.N. Earls of The Earldom of March and Buchan was one of the seven original Scottish Earldoms, later, Buchan was separated from March and among the early Earls of Buchan were Alexander D 1289; John D. C. 1413, both constables of Scotland and Henry Beaumont D. 1340, who had married a commune, John Commene's wife, Isabel, was the Countess of Buchan who crowned Robert the Bruce King at Scone in 1306, and was afterwards imprisoned at Pervic, not, however, in a cage hung on the wall of the castle, about 1482 Sir Alexander Stuart D.C. 1404, the Wolf of Bobnock, a son of King Robert I.I., became Earl of Buchan and the Stuarts appear to have held the earldom for about a century and a half, although not in a direct line from Sir Alexander. Among the most celebrated of the Stuart earls were the Scottish regent, Robert, Duke of Albany, and his son John, who was made constable of France and was killed at the Battle of Varniel in 1424. In 1617 the earldom came to James Erskine d. 1640, a son of John Erskine, second or seventh earl of March whose wife Mary had inherited it from her father. James Douglas D. 1601, and from that time it has been retained by the Erskins. Perhaps the most celebrated of the later earls of Buchan was the eccentric David Stuart Erskine, 11th Earl 1742-1829, a son of Henry David, 10th Earl D. 1767, and brother of Henry Erskine Q.B. and of Thomas, Lord Erskine Q.B. His pertinacity was instrumental in effecting a change in the method of electing Scottish representative peers and in 1780 he succeeded in founding the Scottish Society of Antiquaries. Among his correspondents was Horace Walpole, and he wrote an essay on the lives of Fletcher of Saltown and the poet Thompson 1792, and other writings. He died at his residence at Dryberg in April 1829, leaving no legitimate children, and was followed as 12th Earl by his nephew Henry David 1783-1857, the ancestor of the present peer. The 11th Earl's natural son, Sir David Erskine 1770-1837, who inherited his father's entailed estates, was an antiquary and a dramatist. In August 1908, during some excavations at Dunkeld, remains were found which are supposed to be those of Alexander Stuart, the Wolf of Bognok, BUCHAN, ELSBBH 1738-1791, founder of a Scottish religious sect known as the Buchanites was the daughter of John Simpson, proprietor of an inn near Banff, having quarreled with her husband, Robert Buchan, a potter of Greenock, she settled with her children in Glasgow, where she was deeply impressed by a sermon preached by Hugh White, minister of the Relief Church at Irvine, she persuaded White and others that she was a saint with a special mission, that in fact she was the woman, and White the man-child, described in Revelation the White was condemned by the presbytery, and the set. Which ultimately numbered forty-six adherents, was expelled by the magistrates in 1784 and settled in a farm consisting of one room and a loft, known as New Camp. In Mrs. Buchan claimed prophetic inspiration and pretended to confer the Holy Ghost upon her followers by breathing upon them. They believed that the millennium was near and that they would not die but be translated. It appears that they had community of wives and lived on funds provided by the richer members. Robert Burns. The poet, in a letter dated August 1784, describes the sect as idle and immoral. In 1785, White and Mrs. Buchan published a divine dictionary, but the sect broke up on the death of its founder in spite of White's attempts to prove that she was only in a trance. Even White was eventually undeceived. Andrew Ince, the last survivor, died in 1848. C.J. Train, The Buchanites from First to Last Edinburgh, 1846. B.U.C.H.A.N. Peter 1790-1854, Scottish editor, was born at Peterhead, Aberdeenshire, in 1790. In 1816 he started in business as a printer at Peterhead, and was successful enough to be able eventually to retire and devote himself to the collection and editing of Scottish ballads. His ancient ballads and songs of the north of Scotland 1828 contained a large number of heathered unpublished ballads, and newly discovered versions of existing ones. Another collection made by him was published by the Percy Society, under the title Scottish Traditional Versions of Ancient Ballads 1845. Two unpublished volumes of Buchanan's ballad collections are in the British Museum. He died on the 19th of September 1854. Buchanan, CLAUDIU 1766-1815, English divine, was born at Candusling, near Glasgow, and educated at the universities of Glasgow and Cambridge. He was ordained in 1795, and after holding a chaplain key in India at Barakpur 1797-1799 was appointed Calcutta chaplain and vice-principal of the College of Fort William. In this capacity he did much to advance Christianity and native education in India, especially by organizing systematic translations of the scriptures, an account of his travels in the south and west of India, which added considerably to our knowledge of nature life is given in his Christian researches in Asia Cambridge, 1811. After his return to England in 1808, he still took an active part in matters connected with India, and by his book entitled Colonial Ecclesiastical Establishment London, 1813, he assisted in settling the controversy of 1813, which ended in the establishment of the Indian Episcopate, Buchanan, George 1506-1582, Scottish Humanist, was born in February 1506 his father the younger son of an old family was the possessor of the farm of Moss in the parish of Killyarn Stirlingshire, but he died at an early age leaving his widow and children in poverty his mother Agnes Herio was of the family of the Herios of Trambrown Headingtonshire, of which George Herio founder of Herios hospital was also a member Buchanan is said to have attended Killyarn school but not much is known of his early education. In 1520 he was sent by his uncle, James Furio, to the University of Paris, where, as he tells us in an autobiographical sketch, he devoted himself to the writing of verses, partly by liking, partly by compulsion that being then the one task prescribed to a youth. In 1522 his uncle died, and Buchanan being thus unable to continue longer in Paris, returned to Scotland. After recovering from a severe illness, He joined the French Auxiliaries who had been brought over by John Stuart, Duke of Albany, and took part in an unsuccessful inroad into England. See the account in his hist, of Scotland. In the following year he entered the University of St. Andrews, where he graduated B.A. in 1525. He had gone there chiefly for the purpose of attending the celebrated John Major's lectures on Logic, and when that teacher removed to Paris, Buchanan followed him in 1526. In 1527 he graduated B.A. and in 1528 meters A. at Paris. Next year he was appointed regent, or professor, in the College of St. Barbie, and taught there for upwards of three years. In 1529 he was elected procurator of the German nation in the University of Paris, and was re-elected four times in four successive months. He resigned his regentship in 1531, and in 1532 became tutor to Gilbert Kennedy, 3rd Earl of Cassilis with whom he returned to Scotland about the beginning of 1537. At this period Buchanan was content to assume the same attitude towards the Church of Rome that Erasmus maintained. He did not repudiate its doctrines, but considered himself free to criticize its practice, though he listened with interest to the arguments of the reformers. He did not join their ranks before 1553. His first production in Scotland, when he was in Lord Cachillies's household in the West Country, was the poem Somnium a satirical attack upon the Franciscan friars and monastic life generally. This assault on the monks was not displeasing to James V. who engaged Buchanan as tutor to one of his natural V.04P.0660 sons, Lord James Stewart, not the son who was afterwards the Regent Murray, and encouraged him to a still more daring effort. In these circumstances the poems Pelinodia and *Franciscanus and Fretres were written, and, although they remained unpublished for many years, It is not surprising that the author became an object of bitterest hatred to the Order and their friends, nor was it yet a safe matter to assail the Church. In 1539 there was a bitter persecution of the Lutherans, and Buchanan among others was arrested. He managed to effect his escape and with considerable difficulty made his way to London and thence to Paris. In Paris, however, he found his enemy, Cardinal David Beaton, who was there as an ambassador, and on the invitation of André de Gouvia proceeded to Bordeaux. Guvia was then principal of the newly founded College of Yann at Bordeaux, and by his exertions Buchanan was appointed professor of Latin. During his residence here several of his best works, the translations of Medea and Alcestis, and the two dramas, two Men and Baptistshev Columbia," were completed. Montaigneur was Buchanan's pupil at Bordeaux and acted in his tragedies. In the Essay of Presumption he classes Buchanan with Orat, as a Del Hopital, Montdoran turned as one of the foremost Latin poets of his time. Here also Buchanan formed a lasting friendship with Julius Caesar Scaliger. In later life, he won the admiration of Joseph Scaliger, who wrote an epigram on Buchanan which contains the couplet, Famous in its day, "In were at Romani Scotia lines, Romani Elocii Scotia lines erit. In 1542 or 1543, he returned to Paris and in 1544 was appointed regent in the College of Cardinal Moyd. Among his colleagues were the renowned Marinus and Ternus. In 1547 Buchanan joined the band of French and Portuguese humanists who had been invited by André de Gouvia to a lecture in the Portuguese University of Coimbra. The French mathematician Elie Vine, and the Portuguese historian, Geronimo de Osorio, were among his colleagues, Gouvia, called by Montaigne plus Grand Principal de France was rector of the university, which had reached the summit of its prosperity under the patronage of King John Iii, but the rectorship had been coveted by Diogo de Gouveia, uncle of André and formerly head of St. Barbie. It is probable that before André's death at the end of 1547 Diogo had urged the Inquisition to attack him and his staff, up to 1906, when the records of the trial were first published in full. Buchanan's biographers generally attributed the attack to the influence of Cardinal Beaton, the Franciscans, or the Jesuits, and the whole history of Buchanan's residence in Portugal was extremely obscure. A commission of inquiry was appointed in October 1549 and reported in June 1550. Buchanan and two Portuguese, Diogo de Teve and João de Acosta who had succeeded to the rectorship, were committed for trial. T.V. and Costa were found guilty of various offenses against public order, and the evidence shows that there was ample reason for a judicial inquiry. Buchanan was accused of Lutheran and Judaistic practices. He defended himself with conspicuous ability, courage and frankness, admitting that some of the charges were true. About June 1551 he was sentenced to abjure his errors, and to be imprisoned in the monastery of S.L. Bento in Lisbon. Here he was compelled to listen to edifying discourses from the monks, whom he found not in kind but ignorant. In his leisure he began to translate the Psalms into a Latin verse. After seven months he was released, on condition that he remained in Lisbon, and on the 28th of February 1552 this restriction was annulled. Buchanan at once sailed for England, but soon made his way to Paris, where in 1553 he was appointed regent in the College of Boncourt. He remained in that post for two years and then accepted the office of tutor to the son of the Marichal de Brissac. It was almost certainly during this last stay in France, where Protestantism was being repressed with great severity by Francis I that Buchanan ranged himself on the side of the Calvinists. In 1560 or 1561 he returned to Scotland, and in April 1562 we find him installed as tutor to the young Queen Mary, who was accustomed to a red library with him daily. Buchanan now openly joined the Protestant, or Reformed Church, and in 1566 was appointed by the Earl of Murray Principal of St. Leonard's College, St. Andrews, two years before he had received from the Queen the valuable gift of the revenues of Crossragel Abbey, he was thus in good circumstances, and his fame was steadily increasing, so great, indeed, was his reputation for learning and administrative capacity that, though a layman, he was made moderator of the General Assembly in 1567. He had sat in the assemblies from 1563. Buchanan accompanied the Regent Murray into England, and his Detectio published in 1572 was produced to the commissioners at Westminster. In 1570, after the assassination of Murray, he was appointed one of the preceptors of the young king, and it was through his tuition that James V.I. acquired his scholarship. While discharging the functions of royal tutor he also held other important offices. He was for a short time director of chancery, and then became Lord Seal, a post which entitled him to a seat in the Parliament. He appears to have continued in this office for some years, at least till 1579. He died on the 28th of September 1582. His last years had been occupied with two of his most important works. The first was the treatise to Geragnia Pogscultos, published in 1579. In this famous work, composed in the form of a dialogue, And evidently intended to instill sound political principles into the mind of his pupil. Buchanan lays down the doctrine that the source of all political power is the people, that the king is bound by those conditions under which the supreme power was first committed to his hands, and that it is lawful to resist, even to punish, tyrants. The importance of the work is proved by the persistent efforts of the legislature to suppress it during the century following its publication. It was condemned by Act of Parliament in 1584 and again in 1664, and in 1683 it was burned by the University of Oxford. The second of his larger works is the History of Scotland, Rerum Scoticarum Historia, completed shortly before his death 1579, and published in 1582. It is of great value for the period personally known to the author, which occupies the greater portion of the book. The earlier part is based, to a considerable extent, on the legendary history of beasts. Buchanan's purpose was to purge the national history of some English lies and Scopi's Vanite letter to a Randolph. But he exaggerated his freedom from partisanship and unconsciously criticized his work when he said that it would content few and displease many. Buchanan is one of Scotland's greatest scholars. For mastery over the Latin language he has seldom been surpassed by any modern writer. His style is not rigidly modeled upon that of any classical author, but has a certain freshness and elasticity of its own he wrote Latin as if it had been his mother tongue. But in addition to this perfect command over the language, Buchanan had a rich vein of poetical feeling, and much originality of thought. His translations of the Psalms and of the Greek plays are more than mere versions, the smaller satirical poems abound in wit and in happy phrase, his two tragedies, Baptists and Jephthys, had enjoyed from the first an undiminished European reputation for academic excellence. In addition to the works already named, Buchanan wrote in prose Camille a satire in the vernacular against Maitland of Leithington, first printed in 1711, a Latin translation of Linacre's Grammar Paris, 1533, Libitus de Prosodia Edinburgh, 1640, and script by Scripte andi Mortem 1608, edited by Arcebald 1702. His other poems are Fratres Fraterami, Elegiae Sylvie two sets of verses entitled Hendekosilaba Liber and I am Liber, three books of epigrammata, a book of miscellaneous verse, Desfero in five books, suggested by the poem of Joannes de Sacro Bosco, and intended as a defense of the Ptolemaic theory against the new Copernican view. There are two editions of Buchanan's works, a George A. Buchanan i. Scoti, Poetarum Sway secretly Facile Principis, Opera Omnia, in two volumes, Full, edited by Rodine and Edinburgh, 1715, be edited by Berman, 42, 1725, the vernacular writings, v.04p.0661 consisting of the Camilleone U.S. Attract on the Reformation of St. Andrew's University, an Admonitia unto the True Lordies, and two letters, were edited for the Scottish Text Society by E. Hume Brown, the principal biographies are, David Irving, Memoirs of the Life and Writings of George Buchanan Edinburgh. 1807 and 1817, P. Hume Brown. George Buchanan. Humanist and Reformer Edinburgh. 1890. George Buchanan and His Times Edinburgh. 1906. Ref. D. Macmillan. George Buchanan. A Biography Edinburgh. 1906. Buchanan's Quatercentenary was celebrated at different centres in Scotland in 1906. And was the occasion of several and studies. The most important of these are George Buchanan, Glasgow Quatercentenary Studies, Glasgow, 1906, and George Buchanan, A Memoir, edited by D. A. Miller, Street Andrews, 1907. A verse translation of the Baptists, entitled Tyrannical Government, anatomized 1642, has been attributed to Milton. Its authorship is discussed in the Glasgow Quatercentenary Studies. The records of Buchanan's trial discovered by the Portuguese historian, G. J. C. Henriques, were published by him under the title George Buchanan in the Lisbon Inquisition, the records of his trial, with a translation thereof into English, facsimiles of some of the papers, and an introduction Lisbon, 1906. Buchanan, James 1791-1868, 15th President of the United States, was born near Foltz, Franklin County, Pennsylvania, on the 23rd of April 1791, both parents were of Scottish-Irish-Presbyterian descent. He graduated at Dickinson College, Carlisle, Pennsylvania, in 1809, studied law at Lancaster in 1809-1812, and was admitted to the bar in 1812. He served in the lower house of the state legislature in 1814-1816, and as a representative in Congress from 1821 to 1831. As chairman of the Judiciary Committee he conducted the impeachment trial 1830 of Judge James H. Peck, led an unsuccessful movement to increase the number of Supreme Court judges and to relieve them of their circuit duties, and succeeded in defeating an attempt to repeal the 25th section of the Judiciary Act of 1789, which gave the Supreme Court appellate jurisdiction by writ of error to the state courts in cases where federal laws and treaties are in question. After the dissolution of the Federalist Party, of which he had been a member. He supported the Jackson-Van Buren faction, and soon came to be definitely associated with the Democrats. He represented the United States at the Court of St. Petersburg in 1832-1833, and there negotiated an important commercial treaty. He was a Democratic member of the United States Senate from December 1834 until March 1845, ardently supporting President Jackson and was Secretary of State in the Cabinet of President Polk from 1845 to 1849 a period marked by the annexation of Texas, the Mexican War, and negotiations with Great Britain relative to the Oregon question. After four years of retirement spent in the practice of his profession, he was appointed by President Pierce Minister to Great Britain in 1853. Up to this time Buchanan's attitude on the slavery question had been that held by the conservative element among Northern Democrats. He felt that the institution was morally wrong, but held that Congress could not interfere with it in the states in which it existed, and ought not to hinder the natural tendency toward territorial expansion through a fear that the evil would spread. He voted for the bill to exclude anti-slavery literature from the mails, approved of the annexation of Texas, the war with Mexico, and the Compromise of 1850, and disapproved of the Wilma Proviso. Fortunately for his career he was abroad during the Kansas-Nebraska debates, and hence did not share in the unpopularity which attached to Stephen A. Douglas as the author of the bill, and to President Pierce as the executive who was called upon to enforce it. At the same time, by joining with J.Y. Mason and Pierce-Solay in issuing the Ostend Manifesto in 1854, he retained the goodwill of the South. Accordingly on his return from England in 1856 he was nominated by the Democrats as a compromise candidate for president, and was elected, receiving 174 electoral votes to 114 for John C. Fremont, Republican, and 8 for Millard Fillmore, American or, know nothing, his high moral character, the breadth of his legal knowledge, and his experience as congressman, cabinet member and diplomat would have made Buchanan an excellent president in ordinary times, but he lacked the soundness of judgment, the self-reliance and the moral courage needed to face a crisis. At the beginning of his administration he appointed Robert J. Walker of Mississippi, territorial governor of Kansas, and Frederick P. Stanton of Tennessee, secretary, and assured them of his determination to adhere to the popular sovereignty principle. He soon began to use his influence. however to force the admission of Kansas into the Union under the pro-slavery Lecompton Constitution. Contrary to the wishes of the majority of the settlers, Stanton was removed from office for opposing the scheme, and Walker resigned in disgust. This change of policy was doubtless the result of timidity rather than of a desire to secure re election by gaining the favor of the Southern democracy, under the influence of Howell Cobb of Georgia, Secretary of the Treasury, and Jacob Thompson of Mississippi, Secretary of the Interior. The President was convinced that it was the only way to avoid civil war. Federal patronage was freely used to advance the Le Compte on measure and the Compromise English Bill, and to prevent Douglas's election to the Senate in 1858. Some of these facts were brought out in the famous Covode Day Investigation conducted by a committee of the House of Representatives in 1860. The investigations, however, were very partisan in character, and there is reason to doubt the constitutional power of the House to make it except as the basis for an impeachment trial. The call issued by the South Carolina legislature just after the election of Lincoln for a state convention to decide upon the advisability of secession brought forward the most serious question of Buchanan's administration. The part of his annual message of the 4th of December 1860 dealing with it is based upon a report prepared by Attorney General Jeremiah S. Black of Pennsylvania. He argued that a state had no legal right to secede but denied that the federal government had any power forcibly to prevent it. At the same time it was the duty of the president to call out the army and navy of the United States to protect federal property or to enforce federal laws. Soon after the secession movement began the southern members of the cabinet resigned, and the president gradually came under the influence of Black, Stanton, Dix, and other northern leaders. He continued, however, to work for a peaceful settlement. Supporting the Crittenden Compromise and the work of the Peace Congress, he disapproved of Major Anderson's removal of his troops from Fort Moultrie to Fort Sumter in December 1860, but there is probably no basis for the charge made by Southern writers that the removal itself was in violation of a pledge given by the President to preserve the status quo in Charleston Harbor until the arrival of the South Carolina commissioners in Washington. Equally unfounded is the assertion first made by Thurlow Wheat in the London Observer 9 February 1862 that the President was prevented from ordering Anderson back to Fort Moultrie only by the threat of four members of the Cabinet to resign. V.04 P.0662 on the expiration of his term of office March 4, 1861 Buchanan retired to his home at Wheeland, near Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where he died on 1 June 1868. His mistakes as president have been so emphasized as to obscure the fact that he was a man of an impeachable honesty, of the highest patriotism, and of considerable ability. He never married, see George Tickner Curtis, The Life of James Buchanan Two Volumes, New York, 1883. The Standard Biography, Curtis, however, was a close personal and political friend, and his work is to you a logistic, more trustworthy, but at times unduly severe is the account given by James Ford Rhodes in the first two volumes of his History of the United States since the Compromise of 1850 New York, New Edition, 1902-1907. John Bassett Moore has edited the works of James Buchanan, comprising his speeches, state papers, and private correspondence Philadelphia, 1908-1910. This Manifesto, which was bitterly attacked in the North, was agreed upon October 18th, 1854 by the three ministers after several meetings at Ostend and at Ailo Chapel, arranged in pursuance of instructions to them from President Pierce to compare opinions, and to adopt measures for perfect concert of action in aid of the negotiations at Madrid, on the subject of reparations demanded from Spain by the United States for alleged injuries to American commerce with Cuba. In the manifesto the three ministers asserted that, from the peculiarity of its geographical position. And the considerations attendant upon it. Cuba is as necessary to the North American Republic as any of its present members, spoke of the danger to the United States of an insurrection in Cuba, asserted that we should be recreant to our duty, be unworthy of our gallant forefathers, and commit base treason against our posterity. Should we permit Cuba to be Africanized and become a second Santo Domingo, with all its attendant horrors to the white race, and suffer the flames to extend to our own neighboring shores, seriously to endanger or actually destroy the fair fabric of our Union, and recommended that, the United States ought, if practicable, to purchase Cuba as soon as possible. To Spain, they argued, the sale of the island would be a great advantage. The most startling declaration of the manifesto was that if Spain should refuse to sell, after we shall have offered a price for Cuba far beyond its present value, and if Cuba, in the possession of Spain, should seriously endanger our internal peace and the existence of our cherished union. Then, by every law, human and divine, we shall be justified in wresting it from Spain if we had the power. Buchanan, Robiardy e. Williams 1841-1901, British poet, novelist and dramatist, son of Robert Buchanan 1813-1866, Owenite lecturer and journalist, was born at Caversville, Staffordshire. On the 18th of August 1841, his father, a native of Eyre, after living for some years in Manchester, removed to Glasgow, where Buchanan was educated, at the high school and the university, one of his fellow students being the poet David Gray. His essay on Gray, originally contributed to the Cornhill magazine, tells the story of their close friendship, and of their journey to London in 1860 in search of fame. After a period of struggle and disappointment Buchanan published Underdones in 1863. This tentative volume was followed by Idols and Legends of Inverburn 1865, London Poems 1866, and North Coast and Other Poems 1868, wherein he displayed a faculty for poetic narrative, and a sympathetic insight into the humbler conditions of life. On the whole, Buchanan is at his best in these narrative poems though he essayed a more ambitious flight in the Book of Worm, a prelude to the epic, a study in mysticism, which appeared in 1870. He was a frequent contributor to periodical literature, and obtained notoriety by an article which, under the nom de plume of Thomas Mayland, he contributed to the contemporary review for October 1871, entitled, The Flashly School of Poetry. This article was expanded into a pamphlet 1872 but he subsequently withdrew from the criticisms it contained, and it is chiefly remembered by the replies it evoked from D. G. Rossetti in a letter to the Athenium 16th December 1871, entitled, The Stealthy School of Criticism, and from Mr. Swinburne in Under the Microscope 1872. Buchanan himself afterwards regretted the violence of his attack, and the old enemy to whom God and the man is dedicated was Rossetti. In 1876 appeared the shadow of the sword the first and one of the best of a long series of novels. Buchanan was also the author of many successful plays, among which may be mentioned Lady Clare, produced in 1883, Sophia 1886, an adaptation of Tom.